0: Tozer, a few of you, and those of, who, of you who are not need to get familiar, because he's a tremendous Bible preacher in the uh, middle of the 20th century. Um, he said this, and he, he, he really uh, he nailed it, about the real Christian. We're odd people. <laughs> we feel supreme love for the one whom we've never seen. We talk familiarity uh, every day to someone we cannot see, and we expect to go to heaven on the virtue of some other person He who believes empties himself in order that he might be full. We admit we are wrong, so we can be declared right by him. We go down in order to go up or st- We're strongest when we are weak. We're rich when we're poor. We die so that we can live. We forsake in order to have. We give away so we can keep. We see the invisible. We hear the inaudible. And we know that which passes knowledge. So do you wonder why people think you're weird? We see the invisible God, and we know of his great love. Thank you, Mr. Tozer. You're in, you've gone home to your mansion. What is greatness? You can turn to Luke chapter 9 as we continue our study this morning. Luke 9, 43 through 50, and this will end that particular section, and we'll begin Uh, The downhill slide, as you will uh, see, uh, towards Jerusalem for Jesus. What is greatness? A lot of people want to be great. Many of us have heard this before, but it bears worth repeating because of the time in which we live. The, The French writer Alexis de Tocqueville visited America in 1831, some time ago. And he said, I sought for the greatness of the United States in her commodious harbors, her ample rivers, her fer- fertile fields, her boundless forests, and it was not there. I sought for it in her rich mines, her vast world commerce, her public school system, in her institutions of higher learning, and it was not there. I looked for it in her Democratic Congress in a matchless constitution, and it was not there, not until I went to the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. And we have now come to that point in our history. We we, we have forsaken the goodness of God, and we are no longer the great nation that we once were. Can a nation return to greatness? It all depends upon the church, as we've read there. I am of agreement with this. It is because we walk in the light of heaven that we become great, And we need to return to that. The pulpits need to return to righteousness. Those of us who love the Lord are not afraid to hear hard things from the scriptures because we know that that's what brings change in our lives. We're living in a time when people will not endure sound doctrine. They're looking for someone to scratch their ears and make them feel good and entertain them. You'll not grow. You'll not become mature, feeding on you need the word of god the milk of the word the meat of the word and this is what we seek to do for god's people present the word of god from genesis to revelation that's what calvary chapel is about feeding the people of god the word of god feeding the flock greatness is something that we is innate within us we all whether we want to admit it or not we want to be great. We want to be great at something, not just good, but we want to be great at it. That's just innate because we're made in the image of God, and that's okay. We will, in a little bit, look at not only this passage here, but the parallel passage in Matthew and in Mark, and we'll draw some things about how greatness comes about. We can talk about it, but we want it to become a reality in our life because if we have a great church, we'll have a great community. We'll have great families. And if we have a lot of great families and a lot of great churches, we'll return to being a great nation. It's, it, it's inevitable. In verse 43, we read, And they were all amazed at the majesty of God. But While everyone marveled at all the things which Jesus did, He said to His disciples, Let these words sink down into your ears. For the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying. It was hidden from them, so they could not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Just for a moment, let's recover and revisit the amazing works of Jesus. Just in this gospel. He casts out demons, one of our favorite subjects. <laughs> Luke four, Luke six, Luke eight, Luke nine. Be part of his ministry. He calms the sea in Luke four. He teaches great with grace and authority. Luke four twenty two, Luke six, Luke eight four, Matthew it's gospel seven, healings galore. Luke four. Cleanses lepers, Luke 5. Forgives sin, Luke 5, Luke 7. He calls his disciples, Luke 5. He raises the dead, Luke 5, Luke 7. He walks on the sea, Luke 6. He feeds the people, thousands of them, Luke 8, Luke 9. He's transfigured before Peter, James, and John in Luke 9. And... Not to forget in Luke 11, he taught us to pray. Yes, the majesty of God. You'll have no greater thought today than when you stop and contemplate the greatness of God. There's no one greater than God. Who is the greatest man that has ever walked this, on this planet? Is Jesus Christ. He's the greatest of all time. We're always talking about who's the GOAT, you know. Who's the best all-time football player? Who's the best all-time baseball player? Oh, come on. Does that really matter? What really matters is who the greatest man was who came to set the record straight and to show us how to walk with God and reflect the nature and character of God perfectly. He imaged God perfectly. That's our mission as mankind, to image Him to walk with him. Think about the majesty of God just for a moment. The more you think on that and think of less of yourself, the happier and more joyful you are. They were amazed. They marveled at his work. Think of the majesty of God. It is his stateliness, his dignity, his beauty. There's none more beautiful than Yahweh. He's in a class of one. Nobody is greater than him. And so, shall we not marvel as well? Amen. And so, it seems rather abrupt, but as this is going on, Jesus redirects the thinking of the disciples. You know, I think it's really easy, very easy, at least for me, to get caught up in the supernatural. Wow, did you see that? That guy's leg actually grew longer. (laughs) you know, that's something really amazing, right? The deaf here, you know, demons are cast out. That's really amazing because I don't really understand what goes on in the supernatural world, in the unseen realm, but it's real. And there is an evil, and it's, when people get delivered, it's, whoa, you know, wow. These are wow moments. You can really get caught up in that. But it's easy, and, and if we do that, we lose our sense of responsibility to remain humble, And develop a servant's heart. And so Jesus redirected their thinking to a future event. Look, fellas, yeah, this is in so many words, without saying it, this is great. The presence of God, the work of God. I've done it to prove and so that you would know that I am who I say I am. And it has its place. But I have a mission. And then later on, we know the disciples will have a mission to take the gospel to all the nations, which points to us. We have a mission. The same mission, take the gospel to the nations. So let's look at Matthew 18, if you'll turn with me, to Matthew 18, or scroll to it in your device, however you're set up this morning, Matthew 18, 1 through 5, Parallel passages here to grasp what other viewpoints were concerning this teaching of Jesus. Matthew 18, 1-5, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And then Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children... You will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one of the little uh, ch- uh, receives one little child like this in my name receives me. And now let's go to Mark 9. Mark 9 33. Mark 9, 33, 37. And then he came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what was, you, is, uh, what was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they were, had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down and he called and see the twelve and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last, of all and servant of all. And then he took a little child and sent him in the midst of them. And he said, when he had taken him into his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Powerful words of Christ to us. Notice Jesus said back here in Luke, let these words sink down into your ears. Not into your heart, but into your ears. So, what is he saying? He's wanting them to really pay attention. This is the second time now on his way up to Caesarea Philippi from Galilee to Mount Hermon for the transfiguration to take place. And then now on his way back, and he is back in Galilee here at Capernaum. And he, for the second time, tells them what is about to happen. And this time, he adds something to it. He will be betrayed. Another pointer of what was about to happen. I'm going to be turned over to the authorities, and someone will betray me, connecting the two. That will be how he is turned over to the authorities. At least think about what has happened here. Three of the disciples had witnessed this great transformation of Jesus on the Mountain of Transfiguration. And now back in Jerusalem, it's like nothing like a downer. <laughs> I'm going to die. Whoa. I mean, it just it's just counterintuitive. There seems to be a momentum g- growing in Jesus' ministry. Thousands are coming. Thousands are being healed and blessed, and delivered, and ministered to by him. But this just goes to show you how little the disciples understood Jesus' mission. Sometimes I think that's the problem in the church. We forget our mission. What are we here for? What's my purpose? We don't really think that God really is that involved with us personally. Why would God have a mission for me? Who am I? We were created for a specific mission and purpose. But it's up to us to ask, to seek, to find out. He also says here that, and he doesn't say this in the other Gospels, that this meaning of his death and betrayal was hidden from them. You know, I'm of the opinion that the disciples were stuck in their information bias. You know how like if you have a certain paradigm, a certain opinion on something, you sort of you know, look for more material to substantiate that conviction, right? You just sort of want to reinforce what you already believe, and and that can be troubling. You, you really, to be well-rounded and to, I should be able to listen to other opposite points of view and examine them and, and subject my opinions to others because I might be wrong. But you can get, it's really easy. It's hard to detect that we do this to ourselves, too. Um, but, I think they were stuck in this information bias. You know, they had the opinion of what Messiah would be like, what he would do, and he's doing a lot of those things, the healings and preaching to the lost and caring for people and his compassion. But he would rule as king. And so how could, they could not reconcile this in their mind. How could he set up the kingdom and rule and reign and destroy our enemies and die? they couldn't bring those two together and I'm not going to judge them for that because we have trouble do we not have trouble reconciling a lot of things in the scriptures and so they do what we do (laughs) let's just spiritualize it (laughs) let's just make up something that fits so we don't have to struggle with this you know and you can use your imagination, and a lot of this happens with eschatology things that last things or end times studies. Well, it doesn't fit into our little, you know, looks like it's this, and so forget about that, let's just make it fit here anyway. You know, this is if we're honest with ourselves, this is kind of what we do. That's why, you know, that whole study is really it can be divisive, it shouldn't be, but it keeps us centered, like we don't know well, it could be this way, but it kind of looks that way, but when will it happen, you know, and all these kinds of things. And what does it do? That tension keeps you centered on him. Because, you know, Jesus is coming again. And he's coming for you. Nobody gets out of here alive. Flesh and blood does not inherit the kingdom of God. So we need to be ready. And we need to be about our mission. Amen. the disciples should have understood that jesus had to die the essenes apparently understood this kind of one of the denominations that lived by the dead sea uh, had understood that messiah would die the angel announced that jesus his name shall be called jesus at his birth he shall save their people save uh, the people from their sins so, you know, it wasn't something that was they hadn't heard before. It just didn't fit into their preconceived idea. He's saying to them, let these words what is, sink down into your ears. May God help us. Let the scriptures, let the truth of what we individually need, let it sink in. What does that mean? Well, very plainly, listen up. Pay attention. Details are important. Listen so that you can gain understanding. There's no blessing with ignorance. It isn't a blessing to be ignorant. Uh, Well, let me clarify. It is a blessing to be ignorant of wickedness, but not of truth and not of goodness. So they did not understand, and they remained ignorant for it has it. He says that it was hidden from them; they f- failed to perceive the message and understand the saying of Jesus, and they were afraid to ask him. Are there things in your life that you are afraid to ask God about? This is really the challenge, isn't it? Is there anything that you're sort of like? Well, you know, okay, I don't really want to talk about that. Why not? Do you want to be free? All your fears, your sorrows, your pain, your agony, the travail of your, that you've gone through. Are you afraid? Are you intimidated by God? You shouldn't be. One of these days, he's going to take us individually into his arms. He's big enough to do that with all of us individually and just hold us tight and love us. But he'll do that now. If you can see the invisible one, If you can trust the one you cannot see, if you can take him at his word, you will sense that love. You'll be healed and strengthened by him. Don't be intimidated by Jesus. Don't be afraid to ask him. What's really amazing to me in verse 46 as we continue here, they were arguing about who is greatest among them. Do you think they might have been overlooking something here? I mean, we just went through the list of, in just Luke's gospel, and there's probably a few more that I missed, or are not written for sure, that Jesus is the greatest. You know, in fact, the Bible, what is the Bible? Does it not say he's the name that's above every name? There's none higher. There's none greater. And yet, these guys are trying to figure out who's the greatest. Now, oh, I'm going to say this. Seeing their lives gives me hope. <laughs> I hope it gives you hope, too. Because we're like, we're, they're just guys. They're just like us. We're just like them. We have them, you know, capital A apostles, right? They're the apostles. They're the holy ones. Yeah, they're apostles. They're sent by God. They're called by God, but they're still men. Perspective is important. Verse 46, Then a dispute arose among them, to which of them would be the greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child and set him by him. As we've read that. So they're arguing and reasoning among themselves. Jesus comprehends. See, they didn't perceive what Jesus was talking about in regards to his death, but he understands what's going on in their minds. There isn't anything that escapes uh, Jesus. One thing I appreciate about Jesus because he, there isn't anything God misses. He sees right through us all, right? There's no hiding. There's no, you know, pretending. He sees. Everything is open and naked unto, from God's point of view, right? And Jesus perceives. But one of the things I appreciate about the Lord is his tack. Sometimes guys... I fit into this category on occasion. We can be a bull in a china closet. Just, you know, straightforward, blunt, boom, get to the point. Sometimes God may approach things that way, but he usually is indirect, and he, causes, he, wants, he wants us to think for ourselves. He wants us to arrive at certain conclusions, so he presents things in such ways that cause us to think. It's important to use our minds, is it not? He understands perfectly what's going on. And I don't know that he was perturbed. He just understands that's just where they're at in their growth process. They're going to grow. He knows that. They're going to mature. They're going to become great representation of him in their later years as the church is formed. So Jesus never overreacts and he never underreacts, he always reacts. Rather, responds perfectly in love. And so he takes this little child. They're interested in their position, not anything else. Because why? Status and position is important to man, to us as human beings. The attitudes of superiority and inferiority were at the surface right now at that moment. You know, Peter, James, and John, we're we're a little closer than you guys. Fact is, this whole debate probably was started by Peter. And I wonder if he's, I can't say this with absolutes, but I kind of wonder if he's thinking, you know, I'd rather have Jesus tell them who's the greatest rather than me tell them. You know, some guys are like that. But I think we all have a little bit of that, don't we? God, only the Lord knows that. Right. But it is obvious that the Lord had a a powerful call upon their lives. Upon Peter, James, and John, upon all the apostles. Wouldn't it have been a great privilege to have been one of the 12, except Judas? Right? It had, you know, So, God has a call for everyone. This is important. Do you believe the scriptures? You should. Jeremiah, you want to pull that up? Jeremiah 1, 4 and 5. I'm trying to encourage you. You have a mission. You have a purpose. Let these words sink down into your ears, personally. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born... I sanctified you, I ordained you, a prophet to the nations. You see, the first three of those apply to all of us. Not that we're a prophet to the nations, but we have a mission. You were formed because God knew, and he sanctified and ordained you for whatever mission he has for you. Isn't that a wonderful thing to think about? You're not here by a mistake. Well, my mom and dad weren't expecting me when I was born, you know. Oops, you know. So what does that do to a child? (laughs) Here's that. Like, I really shouldn't have been here. I wasn't planned. Probably most of us weren't planned by us, right? (laughs) But not true of God. We were ordained. Think about that. Ordained, sanctified, formed because God knows. Marvelous. I think it's important to understand that. Yeah, but I got issues. Well, join the crowd. Everyone's imperfect. Everyone, but that's where grace comes in. My grace is perf- is perfected through weakness. Paul's example of all of that. Greatness in the kingdom of God will be determined by the attitude we have in serving the Lord and our fellow brothers and sisters in the kingdom. You want to be great? You want to fulfill that little internal, innate conviction that you have about being great? Well, here's your outlet. Here's how it happens. Here's how it works in the kingdom of God. Serve. Wash feet. Do what slaves do. We were reminded uh, last week by Steve. It's said it's, it's all by a lot of pastors, and it's true. We're called to be servants, those of, that are full-time ministry, but I think everybody's full-time ministry. It's kind of just because someone receives uh, their income from that doesn't make them more full-time. We're, we're servants of the living God. So we're slaves. We're slaves by choice. Doulos. Slaves, bond slaves. We want to serve our master. And that's so important to have that conviction. It's okay for us to call ourselves slaves, but Lord forbid that you would treat me like one. I think this is important. We have certain checkpoints, I think, in our daily lives that sort of check where we're at. How do we treat people that we consider lower than us? How do you treat the guy at the grocery store who checks you out? How about the guy who's bagging the groceries? Those that seem to have menial tasks that we would maybe consider in our minds lower than us. You just think about this for a moment. In just a few days from this event, Jesus will be in the upper room and he'll take a towel and a basin and he'll go around the table and he will wash every one of the disciples' feet. Now that is just mind-blowing if you consider that he's the creator of the universe. And he's humbled himself to become a man. And he's also, as a man, humbled himself to wash the feet of those he created. And then even a step further, to humble himself to die on a cross. We know nothing of humility. But this is the the core of being a servant. Humbling ourselves before one another. The Bible has some guidelines for us about that. As we read in Mark's Gospel, did we read in Mark's Gospel? Yes, we did. The first is last, and the last first. You know, when it comes to children, aren't they cool? <laughs> I think the older you get, the more you appreciate little kids. They're usually made to go after adults, uh, in the priority of uh, we're trying to teach them to respect their elders, right? And you know, children go along with that. They, oh, they get it. I, you know, They're older. They're, well, that's the order. They learn their place. And this is sort of the first step in the kingdom is learning our place, is it not? Uh, the willingness to be last. The willingness to be submissive. It's, a, it's critical to spiritual development and understanding the kingdom of God. Receiving children, it illustrates servanthood. In Matthew 18, as we read there, unless you become converted and become as little children, you'll by no means enter the kingdom. Do you realize you can't become a Christian? You can't receive the gift of righteousness and enter into the kingdom of heaven without humbling yourself and accepting what's provided in the person of Christ and his forgiveness. The only way you can turn, the only way you can be changed into a different person is to repent, humble yourself, be born again. Turn to God and away from our own way. Become as little children. What is it about little children? There's an innocency there. They're they're non-resistant. They're surrendered to the will of their parents. And of course, when they get a little older, we have to make sure that attitude remains and there's sometimes some some corrected devices that need to be employed, right? (laughs) But generally, when they're young, like they're submissive. They do what they're told. They're under authority. They're accepting. They generally accept the information that's being delivered to them. They're not skeptical uh, at at an early age. They take things at face value. And and I think that's important. When it comes to things of the Lord, let's just take them at face value. He means what he says, and he says what he means. Does he not refer to us as children? We are the children of God. Some other characteristics of children that are admired is uh, what we've been talking about is humility. They're honest, generally speaking, and and without... Humility—you can't enter the kingdom. They're trusting. They trust adults. They're forgiving. You know, these little kids rarely hold a grudge when there's an apology. Oh, okay. You know, they might just be crushed by something you said or something you did, but when you apologize, they go, "Okay, I, I, it's okay." Don't you, I think of people who get crushed. It's hard. It's hard when you're crushed when you've experienced tragedy. It's easy to become angry, lose your sense of place, and you just need to hear the Lord say. That's really what an apology is, isn't it? I know, I'm sorry. God has subjected us to this fallen world for reasons we cannot comprehend. But he's much wiser and he knows what he's doing. And I, though I don't understand, I healed. That's what it takes to walk with God, to trust in his judgment. We're talking about being childlike, not childish. We know childishness is immaturity. Childlikeness is expressing humility and faith and having a heart of forgiveness. They have an innocence about them. They're naive, they're pure, they have compassion, they're merciful. They see things black and white. They are persistent in what they want. And they will wear you out until you say, okay, yes, okay. And the older you get, the easier that is for them. (laughs) Especially with grandkids, right? (laughs) They generally live stress-free lives (laughs) in their innocence. How many of us are carrying a burden? What are you carrying this morning? Why is it so hard for you to sleep at night? Why are you not happy? Where is your joy? These are questions we must ask ourselves. If we're to be childlike, it is to cast all our cares upon Jesus. Shall we not? And would we not be better off if we live stress-free lives? And we can do that by surrender. It all belongs to God. We belong to him. We're not taking anything with us to the other side we came in naked we're going out naked let's keep that perspective they're not self-conscious they live in simplicity they're energetic they love fun they live in simplicity they live in joy shall we not seek to be childlike in our faith they're dreamers are you a dreamer? if you give up dreaming dreaming his life's experiences soured you that you have no more optimism left in your soul. Away with that. Let the Spirit of God renew, strengthen, and reinvigorate you, no matter what age you are. Some other thoughts about a servant's attitude, because I believe the reason why it was hidden from them is because they didn't, at this point, have a servant's heart. John 2 9 is. You are all familiar with it because it's sometimes said at weddings quite frequently. The wedding of Cana of Galilee. And the water made into wine, right? If you look in verse 9, the master says, hey, where did this wine come from? This latter stuff is better than the first. That's backwards. And he did not know where the wine had come from, but it says the servants knew. You see, servants get the inside track to the secrets of God. Those who are willing to be humble and honest and broken before God get insight. You have to be servant-hearted if you're going to understand and know the nature and character of God. God reveals himself to the humble. Another insight to servanthood is in, and this is important to have this perspective of ourselves. This is Luke 17.10. I'll start in verse 7. Which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him, when he comes in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. And so likewise, when you have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Sometimes we can be insecure and we need someone to pat us on the back. Or if they don't, we're not going to do that again because, after all, I'm important. You see, if you really have a servant's attitude and you're really not doing it as unto men, you've learned that whatever you do, you're doing is unto the Lord, and you're looking for him to say, good job. He doesn't say it in those words, but you can sense when you've pleased the Lord. There's a joy. There's a peace. There's a love. There's an abiding presence. Real quickly, I think this is important because I think it's important to end this section of, the, of Luke's gospel here. Um, verse 49, now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. There's a danger of us as we grow in the Lord and we learn certain things, what's right and wrong. It's easy for us to become judgmental. People don't uh, do it like we do it. And actually, we've got this all figured out, so everyone should do it our way type of thing. Or they're not with us. And this is really what's talking about it, being exclusive. God, beware of being exclusive. The kingdom of God is bigger than Calvary Chapel. Most of us know that. It's bigger than any denomination, and we're not really to compare. The church, there's only one body, it's those that are born-again believers. And they can be there, and they're scattered throughout the denominations. And that one body has one mission, and that is to reach the nations with the gospel. So, as Jesus said, if they're on me, with me, they're for me. And that's the way we have to look at it. You can interfere with the work of God by being critical and having a judgmental spirit. Leave all judgment to God. James 4, this is the half-brother of Jesus who penned this. James 4, 11, and 12, do not speak evil of another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law. It judges the law. But if you judge the law, then you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's one lawgiver who's able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Wow. I mean, that... That's convicting when I read that. I mean, how can you not be convicted? Because we we cross that line uh, more than we should. At least I have been guilty of that. You know, Jesus said, do not despise one of these little ones, right? Don't feel contempt or look down on someone. You know, those are characteristics of the flesh, of the fallen nature. You know, we're blind to our faults, but not others'. When you look down on others, you have to understand that that's repugnant to the Lord. He doesn't like that. I don't know about you, but I don't like doing things that I know that the Lord doesn't like, and I try to avoid those things, and I'm sure you do too. So why are we not allowed to judge? Because we don't have all knowledge. Only God has all knowledge. So because we do not have all knowledge, and we're not omniscient, we have no right to judge people. Now, there are those people in various parts of the ministry that do certain things. They cast out demons. They do some, there some crazy things that go on in the name of, of the Lord. You know what? If good is happening, praise the Lord. If it's phony, that's not on me. That's not my problem. That's not my issue. God will judge. And that's how I look at it. Now, my sphere of influence, what I am responsible to God, well, it might be different, but I'm not going to judge those things. Let God, as long as they're helping, they're hurting. That's how I see it. In the end here, just remember this. This is God's idea to reward everyone who serves. God has a reward for each and every one of us. For, well, I don't deserve anything. Well, that's not the point. No, nobody deserves anything from God. We deserve punishment, right? But that's not who we're serving. We're serving the king. We're serving the Lord of Lords. And this is his job. Luke 22, 24 through 30. And this is sort of the end of this here. Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as one who serves. But you are those who have Continued with me in my trials, and I bestow on you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom to sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Do you realize the incredible position you have been given? as a son of God, as a daughter of God, the privilege that we will all have one day with eyes of faith, look to the future. Jesus is coming. He's going to return in power and great glory. What the scriptures has declared will come to pass. We have no, there's no space for us to be discouraged. You know, think about this for a moment. The scripture tells us Jesus was never, ever discouraged. I find that hard to accept, but it's the truth. Isaiah says he, he'll, he'll bear all this and not be discouraged. That's a mind blower. Because he could see on the other side, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And that's what we do. We don't in, embrace the pain like it's some something, well, you know. We despise that. It's okay. But with eyes of faith, we see to the other side. God is good. God is love. And one of these days, we're all going to be delivered. We're going to be set free completely from this bondage and this iniquity and this place of darkness. Because we serve the greatest one of all time. We serve the greatest king. There's no other king like that Jesus no greater king. Father, we thank you for your greatness. We thank you for your love. This love that's so foreign to us, that we've drinking from this cup, Lord, and all we can say is we want more of you, more of your love, more of your grace, more of your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your kindness, Lord. Thank you for your incredible plan to subject us to all this and then redeem us and make us part of your family to rule and reign throughout all eternity, Lord, with you. What a privilege it is to be by your side, Lord Jesus. So, Father, transform us. We give you permission to invade our hearts, to invade our lives, to do the work that's necessary in our souls to make us like you to experience more of your love and goodness. Bless your people this week and this day. May your joy and your peace flood our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand?